Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Now, as we kick off today, Dr. Paul Brand was a missionary doctor in India for almost two decades. He then left India and went to America, where he noticed people's response to pain was completely different to the East. He said in America, he noticed that pain is like a four-letter word, and pain relief is a $63 billion a year industry. And he said this, I want to quote him, he said, in the U.S., patients live at a greater comfort level than any I'd previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. So better lifestyle, they have an easier life, but they can't deal with pain and they can't deal with suffering. He then says here, and he quotes the irony of it, he says, a double irony is at work. In conquering pain and suffering to a degree unmatched in history, we've inadvertently become less able to cope with it. And by endlessly seeking pleasure, we've bred ever-rising expectations that keep contentment tantalizingly out of reach. In other words, we've become such a soft society, we've got all these buffers against pain and suffering, and actually they've not helped us, they've made us weaker, and they've created in us an inability to cope with pain and suffering. I wonder how you're coping with pain and suffering. Are you losing hope right now? Because we need to learn to become more resilient. In a book written by Philip Yancey, and Dr. Brand called The Gift Nobody Wants. It's a book about pain. And Dr. Brand served his internship in London, incidentally during the Blitz, the bombing of London. And he said this of the Londoners, I've never found a people more buoyant during that time. And in fact, researchers found that 60% of the people living in London during the Blitz said that it was one of the happiest times of their lives. Imagine that, the pain and suffering and the noise, yet within themselves, they were much happier in those early years of the last century. He then says here in his book, Dr. Brand speaking, says, in India, it's a land of poverty and omnipresent suffering, yet pain was born with dignity and calm acceptance. He says it was there that he he developed a treatment for leprosy, And he realized leprosy is not the skin being eaten away, but actually leprosy occurs when you don't feel pain anymore and then your body parts decay and fall off and you burn yourself because you can't feel anything. In fact, he tells the story of Tanya, a four-year-old girl who has congenital indifference to pain. And he says she can't feel anything. As a result, her limbs and her ankles hang And uh, you can poke and prod her, she doesn't feel a thing. You see, when you don't have pain, it can be a negative thing. Pain is something that God has given us, and we must know how to manage pain and suffering. So today, I want to take the opportunity in this series to speak to you on hope despite pain and suffering. Because what happens to us when we go through pain and suffering is we lose hope. We can't understand, how can I be going through this, and yet I serve a good God? Now, Dr. Brand makes an interesting point in his book, The Gift Nobody Wants. And he says this, he says, Previously, I thought of pain as a blemish of creation, God's one great mistake. I mean, 
How can it be by design? But he says, pain stands out as an extraordinary feat of engineering, valuable beyond measure. You see, everyone in the world experiences pain, and pain is something God has given us, but we've got to learn how to manage it and not be destroyed by it, because often when you experience pain, you can give up hope. And you could almost think, oh gosh, it's only me going through this. You know, Martin Lawrence is a comedian, the funny man. And uh, you, you watch people like that and you think, man, life is just fun for them. They always look on the brighter side. But he actually said this. He said, no one is immune to the trials and tribulations of life. They can pretend to be. They've got coping mechanisms. They can make others laugh. But no one is immune to pain and suffering. You aren't and I'm not. And Jesus wasn't. In fact, in Isaiah 53, in thinking of Jesus, notice this. It says he was despised and rejected of mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. That should encourage us because Jesus faced pain. He knew what pain and suffering were like, but he went through it. And we've got to learn how to keep hope alive as we go through it too. In fact, in John chapter 16, he gives us advice. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble pain and suffering. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, when we live in him, we rise above pain and suffering because we've got an eternal perspective. We have our salvation. We have an eternal view of life. And so we're able more to deal with pain and suffering because we know that they are temporary. But the one thing is true, no one escapes pain and suffering. And we must make sure that we don't lose hope when we go through it. No matter who you are, no matter how prominent or how wealthy you are, you will go through pain and suffering. Now, a book written by Timothy Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, in the book, and I want to quote this section to you before we get into the points today, he talks about how prominent people can go through pain and suffering and look to the wrong source. And he says in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, and he's referring to 2 Kings chapter 5, he says, there's a story of Naaman, a wealthy and powerful general of the Syrian army. He was suffering terribly, dying slowly of leprosy. And it says he was suffering from a disease in the NIV. And hearing of a powerful God in Israel, he traveled there with both money and a threatening letter from his own ruler. He went to the king of Israel and demanded to be cured of his leprosy. And Tim Keller says, like so many of us today, Naaman thought money, influence, and expertise could address his suffering. So he went to the person in the culture who had the most of these things and expected a resolution. Isn't that true of today? He says, in response, the king of Israel tore his robes and replied, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? In other words, he said, don't look to me for something that only God can do. The whole Western world today needs to listen to this cry of the King of Israel. When we confront suffering, we think that what will solve it is a change in public policy or the best expertise in psychology and therapy or technological advances. And he finishes by saying, but the world's darkness is too deep to be dispelled merely by such things. You know, Naaman had it all going for him but he could not deal with the pain and suffering of the leprosy he faced. And then when he got to Elisha, he expected a personal encounter with Elisha, but Elisha didn't even go out of the house. He told him to go and dip in the river 
of Jordan seven times. And it speaks of the word. We've got to dip into the word. And why Elisha didn't appear to him personally is because you can't lean on the man of God personally for some kind of alleviation to your suffering. You've got to go to God's word and you've got to go to God himself in order to find the hope you need when you're going through it. So let's look at four things today so that we can keep hope alive despite pain and suffering because I know so many that are watching this are going through pain and suffering. Number one, the first thing we have to do is never let suffering define you and destroy your hope. When you meet some people, they are defined by what they have been through. You can see their scars and you can see the wounds of the pain of their lives still on them. An author by the name of Christine uh, Zemanski, she said this. She said, we all experience suffering in some form or another. We must go through this to come out on the other side stronger and wiser. So we all go through it. Jesus went through it. But the goal is to come out of it, not having it defined us, not destroying our hope, but stronger than before. Now, when you read the book of Ruth, there's a classic story there. Naomi, who is a mother married to her husband, has two sons, and the two sons get married to Orpah and to Ruth. But then the husband dies. Later, one of the sons dies, and another one of the sons dies. And instead of going through the pain and suffering and coming out the other side, Naomi lets it define her, and she loses hope. And in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 12, she speaks to her daughters-in-law and is pretty hopeless about her situation. She says, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? In other words, girls, it's hopeless. Don't look to me. I've got no hope. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She feels, you know what? That my life is defined by this suffering and God's turned against me. So what good is it for you to hang around with me? And in fact, she tells them to leave her. Orpah leaves her, stays in Moab. But Ruth decides to go back to Bethlehem because they left Bethlehem during a time of famine. So she's experienced famine, loss of her husband, loss of her sons. Now they return to Bethlehem, her and Ruth. Now notice how she describes herself in verse 19 of chapter 1. It says, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? In other words, she didn't look the same. The impact of those experiences had changed her. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Here is this woman who is labeled or has labeled herself and has defined herself by her suffering. And she has no hope. She can't see better things ahead. She has camped at a place called Mara, bitterness. And she has no hope for her life. If you read the book, you'll notice that Ruth finds a husband called Boaz. And not only does Boaz provide for her, but he provides for Naomi as well. But Naomi could not see anything more than the pain and suffering she'd been through. We are going through a very difficult time right now. You may have lost family members, not just one, but many. Don't let it define you. Don't let bitterness seep in. Don't feel that God is against you and that he's doing this to you personally and he's out to get you and he's trying to make your life hard. Don't camp at bitterness. 
move on and come through it. Don't let it define your life. You know, we're on a journey. And as we make the journey, we get to places of bitterness. And that's what happened to Israel as they journeyed. You see, Naomi camped in her bitterness. She stayed at Mara while Ruth journeyed beyond and found her Boaz, her Redeemer. In Exodus 15, we read about the children of Israel. They've just come through the, the celebration of the Red Sea parting and they're singing and rejoicing. And the first place they get to in Exodus 15 is a place called Mara. And I want to pick up there uh, on what it says because it ties in with what we're talking about in the book of Ruth. And it says, when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Now the Bible is so good here in brackets, it says, that is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses. You see, you've got to be careful when pain and suffering come that you don't begin to turn against the church, turn against your leaders, turn against God himself. And they grumbled at Moses and they said, what are we to drink? They kind of were entitled. You see, when you live too well and you've had a lot of blessing, you've got to be careful that when suffering and pain come that you don't feel entitled to, why is this happening? Why aren't I blessed? And it says, then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood he threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. And then we skip just two verses, and it says this in verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs. Notice that, 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They're in a desert, and they camped there near the water. So from a place where there was bitterness, they were taken to a place just, just days later, where there is shade, 70 palm trees, there are 12 springs, not just one source of water, and there must have been dates on there, so there's shade, there's water, and there are dates, but when they were at Mara, they grumbled because they couldn't see beyond. You see, they let that experience define them, and we've got to be very careful. We don't let our experiences define us. We've got to get through them, through the pain and suffering, because it's part of life. Philip Yancey, the author, said this. He said, the more success a culture has, the more difficult it is for individuals to make sacrifices for the good of the whole. It creates a soft society, ill-equipped to handle the adversity that will inevitably come. You see, when we have adversity and we don't have hope, then we start to turn against God, we shrivel up, we complain, we become bitter and negative, and that's not how we ought to behave. I want to remind you that the early church faced pain and suffering and didn't have things go their way, yet they went through it and they could see beyond it. In fact, they could see the eternity beyond it and they endured so much that today we can't handle. In fact, C.S. Lewis says this about our faith uh, before I read the text on the early church, he says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You see, we have this impression because we've had it so easy and we're so focused on pain, relief, and convenience. Why is this happening to me? But we need to be reminded of the early church and what they went through as we face loss and we face economic hardship right now. Let me remind you from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. He's speaking to them and he says, remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule 
and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail and when all you owned was taken from you. Some of you have experienced that. You accepted it with joy. See, no murmuring, no muttering, no complaining, no entitlement. And he says you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. You experienced a Mara, but you knew there was an Elam down the road and you trusted God. He goes on to say, so don't throw away this confident trust, which could be interpreted hope. Don't throw away your hope in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. In other words, don't let suffering define you. Keep hope alive and keep looking beyond and don't let this present Mara define you. Wait until you get to your Elam because good things are up ahead. We're on a journey and we mustn't complain. Be careful of the way you speak because it's so easy to complain during this time that we're living in. Now, A.W. Tozer, the great author, said this. What then are we able to do about our problems? Good question. A question that many people are wondering about today. He says we must learn to live with them until such time as God delivers us from them. We must pray for the grace to endure them without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work out for our spiritual perfecting. Don't let it define you. Don't lose hope. Because if you let it define you, you will be marked by it. And Naomi's life was marked by bitterness when God had better things in store for them further down the road. Number two, the second thing we need to do in order to manage pain and suffering today is God's original intention was not suffering. You see, what you believe about God and what you think about God is extremely important today. If you believe that God is a cruel God who's standing by watching your pain and suffering and he doesn't actually care, if you really believe that, you'll begin to wonder whether he's a God who's, who's worth trusting, who's worth following. But we've got to understand where pain and suffering actually come from. Then we'll understand who God is. Now, God created the world perfectly, but then Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And they brought sin into the world. The Bible says in Romans 5 that it spread to all men and death spread to all men. And as a result of that, decay and chaos has come into our world. Think of how they lived to some 900 years. Then it was reduced to 70 years. Man's lifespan. Even the environment that we are working and living in on the planet is at odds with us. Life is not in harmony with you. Have you noticed the tornadoes and the storms and the avalanches and the tsunamis and how the world is, is in decay? People want this environment to be perfect, but it never will be because in the garden it was cursed because of sin. So let's read that just briefly in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17 to remind us that nature is actually not our friend. To Adam he said, this is God speaking, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Now you kind of imagine that's the flower bed. No, the entire planet was cursed because of you. Through painful toil, pain, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You see, you don't want thorns and thistles. You don't want pain and suffering, but you're going to get it, he says, because of the curse of sin. So we really need God's help while we're living because this was never God's intention for us to suffer the pain and suffering that we're having right now. 
And he says, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You know, we need to realize that the world we live in will not respond to us well. Things are not going to go our way. It's not going to respond when you go to work and you produce, when you run a business, when you're farming, when you're marrying, when you're doing things, life doesn't respond to you ideally. In fact, often it brings with rewards pain and suffering. And sometimes you think, well, how can God let this happen? Well, it's part of the cycle of life of this planet that we are living on. And there is disproportionate and unjust suffering that we all experience, even Christians, because we're living in this world. Think of what Job went through. It was disproportionate suffering. He was a righteous and godly man, but what he went through was disproportionate and unjust. Lost his entire business, his entire family, except for his wife. And so we need to understand that this was never God's intention. A man by the name of Kilroy Oldster wrote an interesting book. He was, he was a trial attorney and, uh, and a mediator in the States. And his book is called Dead Toad Scrolls. And uh, he says, you want to quote this, if you follow with me. He says, a life of hardship and personal suffering is unavoidable. A person must endure many humiliations of the mind and body and expect persons whom they trusted to someday betray them. People inevitably witness the death of their loved ones. We also witness acts of depravity committed by criminals that lurk in every society and rouge acts of scandal committed by government officials in charge of the public welfare. We can relate to that, the, the, the kind of government scandals we've seen and uh, people in charge of public welfare who actually don't care about the people. These are unjust sufferings that many of the people in our country have to go through. And he goes on to say, a person must nonetheless resist personal discouragement, sadness, dejection, and despondency. I must reach an accord with pain, suffering, and anguish, or forevermore be tortured by reality. In other words, I've got to accept that this is the planet I'm living on. God never intended it to be like this, but death came and sin spread, and as a result, the environment is in upheaval. Every institution is in upheaval, and we're not living in an ideal world, so we shouldn't get downhearted about it. We should realize, well, that is life. I'm going to draw on God's grace, and I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to endure the pain and suffering. You see, that's what the apostles taught us after they'd been through so much pain and suffering and seen Jesus, the man of sorrows, fully acquainted with pain and suffering. They gave us advice. Now, one Peter, Peter, the leader of the 12 disciples, says this. He says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, God will bless you for this if you endure the pain of undeserved suffering because you are conscious of his will. For what credit is there if you endure the beatings you deserve for having done wrong? In other words, if you suffer because you were an idiot, you did something wrong, you were a criminal, or you made a stupid mistake, well, you know, and you bear it, well, that's expected of you. But he says this. He says, uh, but if you endure suffering, even when you have done right, God will bless you for it. You see, you've got to endure suffering. None of us has done anything to deserve this. This has come upon us. And now we're facing it. Now we can't complain and question God. We've just got to keep our heads down and keep going. 
He says it was to this that God called you for Christ himself suffered for you and left you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no one ever heard a lie come from his lips. When he was insulted, he didn't answer back on Twitter or Instagram with an insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten but placed his hopes in God, the righteous judge. Can you see Jesus faced unfair pain and suffering and attacks from people? But we've become so soft in our society. We cannot bear someone even using the wrong term around us. And then they have to be uh, called out. They have to be uh, uh, cancelled. They have to be deleted from Twitter. We've gone down a road where we can't handle any kind of inconvenience, any kind of pain, any kind of insults. And yet, here Peter says, you need to learn to get used to it because this was never God's intention. But it's the world you're living in. It'll never be ideal Don't lose hope. Jesus put his hope in the Father, and you need to do the same if you are going to survive. Timothy Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, says this. He says, no amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. And then he says, life is tragic. Gosh, that sounds so negative. No, it's the reality of where you're living and you have to overcome it and you have to keep hope alive. So no matter what happens, it won't define me. And this is not God's intention, so I'm not going to blame him. And I'm going to move forward. Number three, the third thing we need to do, and this is what we need to realize, suffering and pain is never pointless or valueless. You see, God uses pain and suffering to do something in our lives. In Hebrews chapter five and verse eight, it says, son, though he was, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So Jesus went through suffering, but it taught him something, he learned something through it because it wasn't valueless or pointless because no matter what we go through, God will use it for his purpose. And the time when we lose hope is when we think that it's valueless and pointless and then we become victims. Oh, why is this happening to me? How can God let this happen to me? I've been a faithful tither. I've been a person that's been in church and you know I've served the Lord and I'm a volunteer in church and we can bring all the things that make us justify. How can this happen? But God says, you know what? Even though this is happening to you, like my son, there's going to come value from it. Now, there are a couple of things just here in passing that pain and suffering actually do for us. And uh, obviously in your own body, when you have pain, it alerts you to danger. You put your hand on the stove and you, you, know, you become aware, man, this is dangerous. But even in your own spirit, when, when you experience pain sometimes, you realize, oh, it's because I said that, did that. Now there are problems in my life. Pain and suffering is coming to my family or into my business. It alerts us to the danger of our way of life and our disobedience. Also, the second thing that it teaches us is it teaches us a need for God. There's nothing like pain and suffering to make you cling to God and realize, man, I am fragile and I really need him. And then what pain and suffering also does is it equips us to help others, not from the theory of the Bible, but from experience. I have walked through this and I can help you now walk through it because of what I have been through. It's never valueless and it's never pointless. And then what it teaches us is obedience. 
Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And we too sometimes have to learn through pain and suffering what the right thing and the wrong thing is in our lives. Think of Job's suffering. How unfair was it that he lost his home and his business and his children and ended up ill with boils all over his body? Disproportionate and unjust. But what we learn from the book of Job, millions of people have learned how to be true to the faith despite loss, despite not understanding what's going on. Job teaches us what true faith is. True faith is not in the midst of prosperity, but it's in the midst of suffering. And what the book of Job teaches us is that it's not pointless or valueless because he lived 140 years after his suffering and God gave him back twice as much than he had before. The latter part of his life, it says in chapter 42, was better than the former. And I love what it says in Job 42 and verse 5. Job speaking here from experience, he says, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. You see, no longer is it theory, but going through this negative experience, I learned something. And I love what the Lord tells us about suffering in Isaiah 66 and verse 19. He says, I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born. In other words, it's not just going to be for no reason that you go through this. I'm going to let the earth go through its crises, but in the midst of it, it's not going to be valueless and it's not going to be pointless. Something new is going to be born. The great Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe said, those times when you feel like quitting can be times of great opportunity for God uses your troubles to help you grow. Now you're probably saying to yourself, gosh, how can my troubles help me grow? Well, they do. And you know, it's the same breeze or wind that blows the candle out. It's that same wind and breeze that moves the yacht forward. You know, when the wind blows, it can snuff out that flame. Yet at the same time, it can move a yacht in the direction that it needs to go. And we need to realize adversity can serve God's purpose and that it's not valueless and it's not pointless. Don't let it blow out your hope. Let it move you in the right direction. And I know a lot of people struggle with this. They say, well, why does God let this happen? You know, Jesus came and he healed and you know, people run healing crusades and they, they try to create an ideal world. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he healed people. He healed the poor and, and the unfortunate. He fed the 5,000. But you'll notice he never healed people in mass. He didn't get the 5,000 and say, okay, all join hands, lift up your hands, come, I'm gonna pray for all of you. He didn't heal everyone. He didn't feed everyone because God leaves pain and suffering in the midst of blessing so that people will depend on him, look to him and be drawn to him and that in it, they will learn valuable lessons. You know, we don't have an overprotective father. People who grow up with overprotective parents never develop. They never develop their own character they never develop skills. They, they're protected from pain and suffering and hardship. They're protected from financial difficulty. It's not good for you. We need to go through pain and suffering. Then we learn lessons and we become better people for it. Whenever a society has been weak and overprotective, it hasn't produced good fruit. Graham Greene, uh, the British novelist, wrote a book called The Third Man. And in it, he says this. He says, in Italy... For 30 years, under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed. But they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. 
Then he says in Switzerland, they had brotherly love and 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. So you can have difficulty and suffering, yet it can produce amazing things, or you can have such a cloistered and, and, and cosseted society, and yet it produces nothing, only frivolous things in our lives. In 1 Peter, as I move to close off this point, he says in chapter 1, because of his great mercy, God has given us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. This fills us with a living hope. And so we look forward to possessing the rich blessings that God keeps for his people. Be glad about this, even though it may now be necessary for you to be sad for a while because of your many kinds of trials you suffer. Now he gives the reason. Their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Can you see it's not pointless or valueless. It's to prove that your faith is genuine. So then, have your minds ready for action. Keep alert and set your hope completely on the blessing which will be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Look ahead. There's a purpose in it. God is using it to develop you and grow your faith and to test your faith and to prove your faith. And you need to get through it and realize the value. Suffering is never pointless or valueless. Now, some of you may remember the poet Robert Browning, and I certainly remember him from my school days. And the famous poem by Robert Browning goes like this. He says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. You see, suffering and pain is never valueless and it's never pointless. We can learn lessons from it. There are things that God opens up into our lives and we need to move through pain and suffering with hope and we've got to keep hope alive because God is still working despite the difficulties that many of you are going through. Let me come to a close. And number four, prayer and praise in pain keeps hope alive. I'll be brief here, but we've got to keep prayer and praise going because it keeps hope alive. Whenever you pray, and last week I mentioned in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus in his hour of trial, going through a black swan, he prayed to the Father and then they sang a hymn, praise. And prayer and praise put God central in our lives and they prevent us from sinking into deep discouragement and from hope dying. We've got to keep hope alive through prayer and praise. And some of you are probably saying, and I know it's like this, but I've prayed and I'm not getting an answer. I read a book by a lady called Mindy Orr, and she wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Pain, because it's easy to waste your pain. She had a condition in her mouth where her mouth was constantly sore, and she went through such trials, was on medication, then she prayed about it, and then she decided she's going to stop the medication. But the pain got worse. She started having fits because she went off the medication. Her whole body reacted. And she began to call on God. And God said to her, you know what? You're trying to go about this like Sarah, giving, you know, Hagar the maid to Abraham to try and produce something. And she said, God kind of spoke to her and said to her, I'm not going to take your pain away, but I'm going to come into your pain. And she said, when she had that realization, James chapter four opened up to her and she realized, draw near to God 
and he'll draw near to you. And so she said, instead of my pain being taken away by God, God came and joined me in my pain and I learned how to cope as he walked with me and I kept hope alive and I didn't waste my pain because God was there with me. So prayer helped her by bringing God into the situation and not removing the situation. You know the song that we often sing in church called the Desert Song by Brooke uh, Ligertwood? She wrote this wonderful song and it's such a good song to sing at a time like this when we're going through pain and suffering. And it's both prayer and praise. Let me just read you a few stanzas from the song and it says, this is my prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry. Maybe that's you today. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer in the fire, in weakness or trial or pain. Then the next stanza. There is a faith proved of more worth than gold. So refine me, Lord, through the flame. In other words, do something in me. I'm praying to you and I'm talking to you, Lord. But in the midst of this, do something in me because it's not pointless and it's not without value. Then she says, I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare God is my victory and he is here. You see, prayer and praise keep hope alive because you declare who God is and you rely on God and you lean on him and strength begins to come into your life. As the psalmist said in Psalm 71 and verse 14, as for me, I will always have hope. Well, how? He says, I will praise you more and more. Hope is kept alive when you constantly pray and you constantly praise. And the alternative to that is to murmur, to camp at Mara, and not to move forward to Elam. As I close today, I want to read you a quote by J.C. Ryle, who was a British pastor. And he says, let us beware of murmuring in the time of trouble. Let us settle it firmly in our minds that there is a meaning, a needs be, and a message from God in every sorrow that falls on us. There are no lessons so useful as those learned in the school of affliction. Church, as we come to a close today, it's so easy to lose hope when you're going through pain and suffering. So easy to let it define you. So easy for that to be how your life becomes from that point on. You camp at Mara and you never move on to Elam. No, realize that God didn't cause suffering. He's allowed it, but it was never his intention from the beginning. As mankind has sinned, we have brought things upon ourselves and we're reaping the fruit of sin in our lives. And what we have to do is realize there will be value in it. God will use it for his good and he will teach us things. And then we need to keep praying and keep praise alive in our hearts. Don't camp at Mara. Go unto Elam because God has got better things for you. You know, a man called Angelo uh, Ratnachandra, he's from Bangladesh. He wrote a book called Beyond Pain. He lived in London and what happened was, was gang warfare in the road that he lived in and they threw a petrol bomb through the wrong window and he was burnt extensively and suffered immense pain and suffering as he went through a time of healing. Eventually, after many, many years, he recovered. He wrote the book. He's a physiotherapist today. 
eventually the dream of climbing to the base camp of Mount Everest was fulfilled in his life. But he talks a lot about how he went beyond pain. And I want to leave you with this because this is what we have to do. He says here, I followed the doctor's orders and imagined myself at the end of the journey healed. That's what hope does. It imagines the end of this COVID pandemic. It imagines the end of pain and suffering, the end of death in families, the end of businesses being closed down and restricted. It imagines it and it keeps it alive with prayer and praise. And you know, we can imagine further down the road, our Elam, we're at Mara right now, but further down the road, don't know how many months, but we're gonna get to Elam. But you know what? In this world, if you constantly are at Mara, you will get to Elam when you die. And I wonder if you know that today, because Jesus Christ has taken us from the Mara of bitterness and sin, and he's opened up the Elam for us, which is a picture of heaven. Maybe if you don't know him today, you need to put your hope in him. And if you're a Christian, renew your hope despite your pain and suffering. Come, let's pray together, and you can join me in this prayer today. Father, I thank you that you sent your son and when he came, he lived a life of pain and suffering so he can identify with me. I come to him now and I ask you, Lord, to help me, give me hope in the midst of pain and suffering. Help me to keep hope alive. And Lord, I come to you and lean on you because in this world, all I have is Mara, bitterness, sin and suffering. And I ask you, Lord, to give me heaven, Elam, as a gift, as I put my trust in you. I commit myself to you today, Lord Jesus, and I put my life in your hands. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 